Angeles, the rap evangelist, my daddy wouldn't abandon us. Good morning. I think we should have beach balls through the service, the whole thing. I'd keep you guys entertained. I know nobody's sleeping that way. Hey, um, one of the things that we do well here at Grace is our children's programming. Um, I've been coming to Grace for over 20 years, um, or about 20 years. I've only been on staff for the last seven or eight years. I never really have my time frames figured out here, as you can see. But one of the things I say to people all the time is my kids have always enjoyed coming to church. I haven't had to drag them to church. Uh, I say that to say, invite your friends to come out Friday night, and, um, sorry, so invite your friends to come out Friday night, it's a great chance for them to see a little bit about what we do, it's just going to be a great fun night, so those invite cards, they're for your neighbors, they're for others, let's just uh, pack the house and enjoy that. Hey, one of the things that Brian entrusted to us uh, before he went on sabbatical was to continue to look and possibly hire a worship arts director. Um, as most of you know, Kevin has been flying in every other week from New York. Kevin's had a huge impact. We love Kevin, um, but we knew when we asked him to start doing that 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 was going to be temporary. We figured we'd do it for six, eight months. It's been now um, well over a year, um, and it's been great, uh, but, but we know we need somebody here. We need somebody within the church doing that job. So the good news is this week we hired someone to be the new worship arts director. His name is Norflet Shoemake, and a lot of you know Norflet. Amen? Yeah. It's awesome. So in the next couple of weeks, you'll get to know Norflet. Uh, Kevin will be here next week. Uh, Kevin will be coming in, in February as well because we want there to be a real smooth transition between Kevin and Norflet. Uh, Kevin actually played a role in, in getting to know Norflet and giving us his recommendation. So there's a great deal of excitement about the transition. So we just wanted you to know that was coming. Some of you are going to hear uh, rumors of such, and uh, we just wanted it to be on your radar. So... Hey, I also wanted to just recognize tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Day, so the offices will be closed tomorrow. Um, but I just wanted to take a minute and just share, and I, this isn't what I planned on sharing, but um, yesterday I got a Facebook post, and the Facebook post said um, that Martin Luther King's dream has not come true in the church. And you know what I thought to myself? Not at my church. Yeah. And here's, here's what I know. We have a long way to go. We, we have not arrived. We have not figured this whole uh, being a mosaic thing out. But we have come so far in the last couple decades. And God has done so much. And we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Amen? And the other thing that hit me is, as I was thinking about this is, you know, this has been something that Grace has been a part for a long time. So Grace used to be called Ebenezer Baptist Church. We're a 115-year-old church. And um, in 1963, Dr. King wrote some letters to the church. They're called um, Letters from a Birmingham Jail. And if you read those letters, he's not exactly uh, patting the churches on the back. He's pretty clear. He's kind of calling, really calling the white church out and saying, where are you? And the white church was sort of saying, wait, it's, it's, not, it's not the right time. And he was saying, when is the right time? And you read the letters, you can hear his passion. No doubt you can hear his passion. But what I love is when I was doing this sort of looking back in our history, trying to, to put together a different service, I stumbled upon our newsletters in 1963. And Grace Community Church, then Ebenezer Baptist Church, a predominantly white church in the city of Detroit, published those letters in their newsletter. And I think that says something about the legacy that, that was set place. Yeah, amen. It's very cool. I think it took a lot of bravery. 
to, to publish that. And I just, it just reminds me that God was up to something in this church long before Brian was here, long before Al Coonley was here, long before Kevin Butcher was here, um, that God called us to be a mosaic striving to live like Jesus on this corner. I do want to read two quotes from Letters from a Brigham Jail. And uh, if you've never read them, just Google it and it'll come up and you can read the letters for yourself. But Dr. King wrote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all. Let us all hope for... Excuse me. Let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all of its scintillating beauty. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for the dream. I thank you for the work of Dr. King. I thank you that, that we are a mosaic. And that we are trying to figure this out. I thank you that we realize we haven't arrived, but yet you've brought us so far. Lord, help us to uh, live into not just Dr. King's dream, but Jesus' dream. That we would be one as you and the Father are one. So we just stop to thank you and to uh, uh, ask that you would bless the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we are really excited about things that are going on around here. Uh, last Sunday night, we had over 100 people show up to pray for the new year. Yeah, it was, if you weren't here, you missed something. It was really cool. But what I wanted to do was stop and say thank you uh, on behalf of the elders, on behalf of the staff. It was an incredible encouragement to us. Walking through the building, having people pray for us, having people pray for our ministry, having people pray in all throughout the building. It really was just very, very encouraging. So I wanted to thank you for that. Um, there's just been a, a lot of good stuff going on. Right now, there are three busloads of kids. Our junior high and high school kids are at a retreat up north. I love the fact that God is moving there. They brought back John Jackson to lead worship. You guys all know John. So they're all having a great celebration up there and, and learning about Jesus. So there's just a lot of really uh, fun stuff happening at Grace. And I hope that you are feeling the pull to get plugged in as well. One of the things that's happening that I love is that there seems to be a buzz or an excitement around the Philippians series. So yesterday at one of the breakfasts, uh, we had two different breakfasts going on. I was at the Eagle Sports one. Somebody said to me, you know, our small group is so excited about Philippians that we're, we've already bought the curriculum. We're going to study Philippians more. I had somebody else walk in my office last week that said, I, I, I've never done this before, but I went home and I read through Philippians. I'm just, I'm so excited about studying Philippians. And that's really what we wanted. We wanted to kind of instill an excitement around this letter and get you kind of, we talked about it, immersing yourself, marinating yourself. That's why it's so important. If you don't already know what you're going to do uh, with Tuesdays at Grace, come and see and plug into the study and immerse yourself in this really phenomenal letter and see what God might have for you. So, we are in week three of a study on Philippians. We're calling this series A Satisfied Life, a, a life with more joy, a life with more courage, a life with more contentment. And what I'm really encouraging you to is to make sure as we move through this series that you are um, buying or, or going online and listening to the, to, the, to the sermons that you missed, that you're getting the CDs when you're here if you missed one, and kind of keep up because they're all going to build on each other. So you'll even find today that I'll be re referencing what we talked about last week. And so you kind of need to have the whole package. So as we build into this series, I just encourage you to, to listen in or to get the CD and keep up. So grab your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start reading the second part of verse 18. So most of your 
Bible's verse 18 will be broken up between two paragraphs. We're going to start at 18b, and we're going to read through verse 26. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. This is where I remember to breathe. Paul says in second part of verse 18, he starts with, Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen? So Paul starts in the second part of, of 18 with these words. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that Paul's life, the very essence of what we taught last week, was a, a perfect example of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is that passage that says that, for, that God works together all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And this was a, a perfect example. So Paul is saying to the people as he's writing this letter, look, I'm in prison. And there's people out there that are preaching for all kinds of weird motives, but it doesn't matter because God is using all of that to advance the gospel. He's saying God's working together for good, all of these circumstances, but I get to go out and I get to advance the cause of Christ. If you were here last week, you heard me talk about this idea of what Paul is talking about, that he gets to be on the front lines. He gets to go before the armies and clear out any obstacles that may exist for the gospel to go forward, that he is actually leading the way like the special forces, if you will, that go in prior to the army marching and clears out any obstacles. So Paul makes it real clear that what I'm going through right now, my current circumstances, God is in it, all of those circumstances, and God is working together for good, all of that. And now he shifts gears and he says, and I will continue to rejoice. So now he's looking forward. He was looking in the present and now he's looking forward. And he's saying to his friends, look, I was joyful. I'm excited. I have total commitment about what God is doing and I will continue to have contentment. And this is why I have contentment. So let's keep reading verse 19 as he explains why he will continue to have joy. He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, in all humility, um, I think this is a, in the NIV especially, this is a poor rendering of what Paul wrote. So if you go back to the original Greek and you look at this, the words through your prayers is actually a modifier for the rest of the paragraph. So Paul is actually saying, which doesn't really come out when you first look at this, he's actually saying, through your prayers, I will receive more of what God has for me. So one of the things we talked about last week is the need for a daily anointing, a need to say, God, I have your spirit in me, but give me more of your spirit. Help me to know more of you. Help me to walk more in your spirit. And Paul is actually attributing more of that daily anointing to the prayers of the people in Philippi. He's actually saying, through your prayers, I'm going to receive more of God. So put it this way. 
Paul is assuming that his friends are praying for him. So he's saying to them, don't stop praying for me because it's working. Don't stop praying for me because I need it. So one of the things we keep saying over and over, this series is called The Satisfied Life. More joy, more contentment, more courage. And one of the things you're going to see throughout this entire letter, there is a thread that runs through this entire letter that says you will not survive. You will not be able to do this. You will not have more joy. You will not have more contentment. You will not have more courage unless you are doing life connected to others, unless you're doing life in community. So Paul already talked about it, but we have six essentials, that you gather together, that you come to church, that you're here, that you connect with one another. That, and so you, we have the little diagram, that little guy in the middle is Joe Grow, that you serve in some way, that you have influence, that you're actually coming to church for the purpose of knowing more about God so that you can advance the gospel, that's the influence part, that you have hearts that are fully devoted to God and you're generous, giving away the very things that God gives to you. You're not holding them tight, but you're giving away. But a critical part of this and what is emphasized over and over and over in Philippians is the need to connect. So just to make sure that this is clear, think about who Paul is. Paul is an apostle. Paul wrote a good portion of scriptures. There's something pretty special about Paul, wouldn't you say? Paul gets knocked off his donkey, right? And, and we know that whole story of the Damascus Road. But then in Paul's life, Jesus actually comes to Paul and actually mentors Paul directly. The risen Jesus comes to Paul and mentors him. And then Paul is so full of the Spirit that when he walks down the street and his shadow passes over people, God uses that to heal him. So he, he's, he's got a lot going on, right? He's pretty special. He, he's, he's not your average guy walking with the Lord. There's something really amazing about Paul. But it's the Apostle Paul who says to his friends, look, it's through your prayers for me that this is going to work out. It's through your prayers for me. He's humbling himself and saying, look, I know things are going to be okay. I'm going to continue to rejoice because I know that you are praying for me. You and I, we have the ability to empower, to encourage, to excite others to follow God well and to have more of God's spirit in their life when we commit to faithfully praying for them. Paul knows that he's praying for the Philippians and that it's going to have an effect. We see that in his letter. And now he's saying, you're praying for me is having a huge effect. And I want you to see this on the screen because I think it's important. So really, if you were to break this down in the original language, Paul says, through your prayers, God will provide more of his spirit. Now, it's not that, that Paul's not going to have his spirit if they don't pray. It's that daily anointing, more and more and more and more of God. He's saying, through your prayers, God will provide his spirit. And through your prayers, because God will provide his spirit, then this is all going to turn out for my deliverance. It's okay. Things are going to work out. I'm going to continue to rejoice because I'm going to have more of God's spirit. And I know that it's these circumstances, my being arrested, all the things going on are going to turn out for my deliverance. And then as we're going to see in just the next verse, he also says, I will in no way be ashamed. All three of these are connected to or modified by the words, through your prayers. Your prayers make a difference. We need to recognize that our prayers actually bring about change. Our prayers actually impact other people. That's why it's so important that people show up a half hour before the service and pray for what God's going to do. That's why we want you to set your alarms for 9.30 in the morning so that you're praying for it. Because the prayers of the people, that's why we want you to come on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. I, I said this in the first service. I think there are lots of times that is the only thing that holds us together. 
When things are chaotic, when things are not going well, I believe it's the prayers of the people that keep us bonded and glued together and allow us to have the spirit and allow us to have deliverance and allow us not to bring any kind of shame to the gospel. Your prayers matter. That's why we make such an emphasis and that's why we're putting such an emphasis on this movement of prayer around here. So move on to verse 20 because I want you to see how he's talking about this being ashamed. Paul writes these words. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I think this is amazing. Again, the Apostle Paul is showing a tremendous amount of vulnerability, a tremendous amount of humility, because what he's really saying is, I believe that because you're going to pray for me and because I'm going to have the Spirit, I won't do anything that will bring shame to me. We have to remember where he is. He's in a Roman prison. Now we have to remember, what was it like to be in a Roman prison? Well, let's remember, they boiled people in oil. They put people on stakes and lit them on fire as human torches. They crucified people. They strapped meat to people and sent them to a, into arenas so that dogs or lions could eat them. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities of how this could go badly for Paul. And Paul would be well aware of all of that. He would be well aware. And what he's saying to his friends is, look, I need your prayers. This is no big deal. I need to have strength. I need to have courage. I need to make sure that however I respond to whatever's going to happen doesn't bring any shame to the gospel. He doesn't want to recount his faith. He doesn't want to be in a situation where he says, well, I never knew him. I don't know who this Jesus guy is. And we know that he doesn't. But he's saying, I need your prayers to finish well. Paul, the apostle Paul says, I need your prayers. One of the things that we can recognize is we need to learn to humble ourselves before others and actually express what we need in our prayers. Not to, not to put on pretense, not to be something around, but to be able to say, look, I don't know how this is all going to go, but I know if you pray for me, I can persevere through this difficult circumstances. I know that I can do what God is calling me to. Because you're going to pray for me, because you're praying for me will give me more of God's spirit and because having more of God's spirit will allow me to move through the circumstances. Paul kind of models something for us that we all need to know. He humbles himself and he asks for prayer. And then he says these words, and this is where we're going to really spend the rest of our time. He says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a very familiar passage. This is another one of those. There's so many passages in Philippians that people have committed to memory, but this is one of those. You, you hear it at funerals. You hear it often. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you know, the fact of the matter is um, most of us have probably never sat with this particular verse long enough to really allow what Paul is saying to sink in to our, our innermost being, to really know what is it that Paul is trying to say. So Paul is, is, is trying to explain himself. This is cool. For the rest of this passage that we're looking at today, verses 23 through 26, I'm not going to read them, but I'm just going to tell you, Paul goes into probably one of the most personal moments in all of his letters. He just begins to express his heart. And he's sort of debating between, okay, should I stay or should I go? What's the value of staying? What's the value of going? And when he talks about going, he's talking about dying or being um, executed or whatever. But he's talking about going and being with him. But he basically says, look, if I stay, I get to continue to do the work of God. If I stay, I get to advance the gospel. If I stay, God's going to use me to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the, these places that don't even know him. It's the greatest honor I can get. To live is Christ. He's making it very clear. There's, this is awesome. I get to do the work of Christ. But then he says, but 
But to die means I get to go be with Christ. I get to be there in person. I get to be in the flesh. I get to be right there with Christ. And so he's debating, should I stay or should I go? In the end, he says, well, if given the choice, I'll stay. Because if I stay, then I can continue to pour into you. And I can help you as you can advance the gospel. But make no mistake, he's saying, it is far better for me that I go, but I want to stay and help you with the gospel. One of the things Paul's doing is he's modeling the very thing he's going to write in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. He says, do nothing out of selfless ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He's saying it's better for you that I stay, even though every part of me would rather go. So here's the question that I want us to, to ponder. And I really do, if, if there was a goal for today, it would be that you leave with a question. That you leave really pondering this question. Because I think it's worth hanging on to. It's worth spending some time and asking the Lord to come into it. And I want to tell you, um, I don't want there to be any sense of shame there, that, that you don't answer the question correctly. Because I, I think as we look at this, we realize that Paul had to grow into being able to write this, this very sentence. He says later in Philippians, he says, um, I have learned to be content. And in, in, in having much and having nothing, I have learned to be content. So if he had to learn to be content, it means that there was a season of time where he was not content. He had to learn that. The other thing we know is from 2 Corinthians, Paul actually tells the readers, look, I had to go through an incredible near-death experience. I had to get to the point where I thought it was the end, where I knew I was going to die, and then I gave up all of my control and turned everything over to Jesus, the only one who could really give me life anyway. So Paul has gone through enough life experiences now that he could write this incredible sentence to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But the question is, what did Paul know? What is it that Paul knew about God? What is it that Paul knew about his relationship with Jesus? What is it that he knew about the awesomeness of God, the wonder of God, the amazement, amazing parts of God? What is it that Paul knew in his life that would allow him to say, to live is Christ, but to die is so much better? To go and be with the Lord doesn't even compare to being here. There's something really amazing about Paul's ability to say this. And what I want you to understand here, because I think this is super important as well, is that Paul is not talking about escaping the difficulties of life. This is Paul. So Paul, remember, if you read Acts 17, if you want to do that as a little homework assignment, it's great. Read Acts 17 is the precursor to what's going on right now because Paul goes, and this is why he's in prison, because of the Acts 17 story. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and he, he gets accused of taking a non-believer, a non-Jewish person into the synagogue, which he didn't do. But because of that, he's arrested. He's beaten severely. And then he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Why are you beating me? And then they take him to Rome. But on the way to Rome, his ship wrecks. And, and then he's stranded in the sea for a while. And then he ends up on an island. And then while he's on the island, he gets bit by a snake. And while he, after he gets bit by a snake, then he finally gets dragged around. So all of this is going on. And so you would think that Paul would be writing is, boy, going to heaven sounds like a good deal. <laughs> no shipwrecks, no floating at sea, no snake bites. And not to mention some of his closest coworkers have abandoned him. So he has, he has deep hurt. He's not talking about any of that. This has nothing to do with escaping the pains of life because Paul just said, to live 
is Christ. I am content in all things. I have joy in all things. So Paul is fired up about life. He loves life. He's in a prison and he's digging life. He's loving the fact that he gets to advance the gospel into Rome. He is totally into everything he's doing. And he says to live is Christ. But to die is even better. It's an amazing sentence that offers us an invitation. It offers us a challenge. Could we say what Paul says? Do we have joy in this life? Do we understand everything about my life? To live is to represent and advance the gospel of Christ. And there's no greater thing that I could do. But to die is even better. Not because we want to escape. Many of us have had enough hardship in life that we would say, absolutely, Anything to get away from this. And that's okay to know that in in heaven there's no more tears, no more sickness. All of that is a good reason to want it. But what I want to challenge you to is, is, is your image of Christ, is your image of heaven, is your image of being with God so amazingly colorful and your imagination so engaged that in your very best moment here on earth, when you have the very best moment with God, whether it's in worship or in prayer, would you still say to yourself, this is good. But that, that is so much better. Paul had this ability to say both. And I want us to just sink into the question and ask us a question. Could we say it? Because this is a wonderful invitation. God is a God of invitation. And so we see in the Gospels, there's this moment when Jesus is, is inviting some people into an amazing relationship. Now, we know who Jesus is, right? Jesus was the, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. We don't understand all that, but that's the truth. And he's walking the, 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 the earth, and he's, he's, he's there, and he's looking at people, and he's saying, would you follow me? Would you follow me? And this invitation is amazing. Think about it. These people were given a chance to walk with God himself, to talk face-to-face with God himself, to be taught by Jesus in person, to stand beside Jesus and watch him do his miracles, to, to sit in the, in the quietness away from the crowds and listen to his teachings and to get firsthand knowledge. They, were, they had this incredible invitation. And all Jesus said was, follow me. And the first guy he says it to says, well, I want to follow you. No, really, I, I love the idea, Jesus. It's, it's super cool. I do want to follow you. But just let me go home and bury my dad. Just let me go home and there's a funeral we got to have. And, and then I'm cool. I'm going to come. They miss the invitation. The second person says, well, I want to follow you. I love the idea. Sounds great. Jesus, good deal. But I just want to go home and say goodbye to my family. In both those cases, the people that were invited failed to recognize the wonder and the majesty and the the awesomeness of the invitation. They had a chance to walk with the living God. He would have handled everything else. He would have handled all the chaos of a funeral, all the chaos of saying goodbye. But they said to themselves, yeah, I kind of want that, but, but not right now. There's some things that I have to do. There is an invitation in what Paul is writing for all of us to ask the question, how would you answer the question if Jesus were to say follow me come with me right now let's go let's be with me the truth of the matter is this is a question in a different sort of way and it'll help us to think about this that I faced all the time as a kid because in my house everything that happened in the world was a sign that Jesus was coming back Every political event was a sign that Jesus was coming back. Every natural disaster, I remember them, was a sign that Jesus was coming back. Every burnt pot roast was a sign that Jesus was coming back. I mean, everything is just how my mom talked. Everything was a sign that Jesus was coming back. Now, the good news is it gave me a keen awareness that you should be ready. 
because he's going to come like a thief in the night and Jesus is going to come and that's scriptural, that's great. But it made me ask the question as a kid all the time, am I ready? Do I want Jesus to come back? If he were to whisper in my ear, Doug, I'm coming back right now. Do you want it to happen? And I can tell you, surely as I'm standing here, for most of my life, I would say no. For most of my life, I would say, yeah, could you just wait? I, I haven't graduated from high school yet. Wait, I, I haven't graduated from college yet. I haven't been married. I haven't had kids. I haven't seen my kids grow up. I haven't had grandkids yet. I, haven't, I just started my business. I haven't seen it flourish. I, haven't, I, haven't, I would have said to him, I love the invitation. Of course I want to go to heaven when I die. Of course I want you to come back eventually. But there's still stuff I need to do. You see, I didn't know how amazing the invitation is. I missed out on something in the invitation because I held things in the, in the wrong place. It's important for us to wrestle with this question. If Jesus were to whisper in your ear, I'm coming back right now. If in your heart of hearts you'd say, well, could you just wait? I, I just bought a new set of jet skis and I'd really like to ride them this summer. We laugh, but it's true. I have a great vacation plan this summer. I mean, we just saved up all of our money and we're going to go and we're going to be and it's going to be awesome. Can, can you just wait? And, and none of those things are bad things. Going and burying your father, it's not a bad thing. Going and saying goodbye to your family, it's not a bad thing. This is a, t this is a sermon about understanding the wonder of God, like letting God capture our imagination that no matter what we have in this life, no matter how good it is, the best of this life pales in comparison to what God is inviting us into. There's something of an invitation, something of a challenge that Paul gives when he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And the question we can ponder is, could I say the same thing? Do I really believe deep down that life on the other side pales in comparison to the best of what this world has to offer? So one of the things that I just want us to hold on to, and again, I, my biggest fear of this talk or my, my worry of this talk was that I would be laying a guilt trip on you, and I do not want you to feel guilty. I just want you to wrestle with the question. I am telling you, I am not where Paul is. I am not, and this question has been good for me all week to think about, can I write what Paul writes? Do I really know the wonder of God? And one of the things I want you to just hold on to is this is not about loving your kids or your wife or your friends less. This has nothing to do with loving people less. This has everything to do with loving God more. So one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and in The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis writes these words. He says, it's probably impossible to love any human being simply too much. We may not, excuse me, we may love them too much in proportion to our love for God, but it's the smallness of our love for God, not the greatness of our love for, for the many that constitutes the inordinacy. The real question is, which do you serve? The real question is, which do you choose? The real question is, which do you put first? To which claim does your will in the last resort yield? One of the things that we've learned as we've studied Philippians is that Paul prayed earnestly that the people in Philippi, that their love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight more and more and more. And when they fall in love with God more, when they know God more, he increases their capacity to love others more. This isn't about loving your kids less. It's not about loving your wife or your husband less. It's not about loving family less. It's about allowing God, being able to say, my entire life is Christ and everything about my life is Christ and he has infused his spirit in me and because of that, I can love my family better. I can love my family more. This is about putting things in the right priority. So it's not about loving 
God less. Jesus wanted us to get this. He wanted to capture our imagination. So as he was, it was in, on the earth in the Gospels, we see him teaching this amazing truth. So in Matthew 13, Jesus uses these words. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Being with God is like. This, this thing of, of having Jesus in your life, life with Christ, is like a, a treasure. A treasure. Think about it. It's a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, in his excitement, in his exuberance, he went and he sold everything that he had, which he must have liked some of his stuff, but he sold everything he had and he bought that field. And Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And he, when he found the one of great value, when he found the treasure, when he found the one of great value, he went away and he sold everything and he bought the pearl. The reason many of us would choose to stay or would choose to delay the coming of Christ or would not be able to say to live as Christ but to die as gain is because we lack an understanding of the treasure. We lack an understanding of the value and the beauty of what we're being invited into. We fail to understand that we have a Father in heaven that loves us beyond our wildest imagination and is inviting us into a place of being in the presence, in his presence in a way that we just cannot even fathom. We haven't engaged our hearts, we haven't engaged our imagination in a way to know all that God has for us. I want to make sure I touch on this too because I think it's important. Some of us, if the words were whispered in our ear, I'm coming back, do you want me to come back right now, would say no. No, Jesus, could you just wait because I haven't cleaned myself up enough. You see, a lot of us have a view of God as the great judge in the sky, that, that we're going to stand before an angry God and that he's going to bring down his punishment on us. We've thought about our life and we know that if we were to look on the scales, there's more bad than there is good, that we've screwed up enough, that the thought of standing before God is nothing but scary. Who wants to stand before the judge and hear their life. It's kind of got the same appeal as walking down the hallway to the principal's office. Something that I know all too well. But that's beside the point. So we have this image of God. Of, of being the judge. And I just want to encourage you. That if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have said to Christ. I cannot do this on my own. But I am going to believe in the work of the cross. And I am going to lean into you. And I am going to surrender my life to you. The truth of the word is that you are right before God. You are righteous. You are holy before God. God sees you through the blood of Christ. And he is not the God of judgment. He is a father in heaven who is waiting for his long lost daughter or his long lost son to come home so that he can embrace you. Amen. That is the story of the gospel. That's what keeps us from wanting to have Jesus right now. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what would keep you from saying yes. Right now. Come back right now. I want that. And I just want us to stay with the question long enough to invite the Spirit of God into it. When we have feelings of fear, feelings of inadequacy, all of that can be washed away in the knowledge and truth that God loves you beyond your wildest imagination, that while you were far from God, while you were still turning your back on God, he sent his son to die for you. And the scriptures say that without the spilling of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It's Jesus' blood that allows us to come to, to God knowing that we are righteous before him. Do you believe that? So no matter what, 
no matter where you've been, you have a chance to lean into this amazing phrase, to live is Christ. I surrender and I want all of my life to be about doing the very thing that Christ wants us to do. I want joy in the journey regardless of my circumstances. I want more satisfaction. I want more contentment. I want more courage. I want more joy. And I'm going to have that because God is in me. God is with me as I do it. But I also want to know God in a way that says no matter what, to live is Christ. But to die and be with Christ is far better. So here's the invitation. Some of you have never made the decision. Some of you have been saying to yourself, yeah, I know, God's saying follow me, but just let me go do one more thing. Let me just go take care of this. You fail to recognize the wonder of the invitation. And today could be a day where you just say, no, I'm going to follow you. No, no more going to take care of anything, but today's the day. I'm not going to worry about who I leave behind. I'm not going to worry about those friends. What if, I, what if I can't keep those friends? Today I'm going to make the decision to follow you. The invitation is there. For some of you, it's a first-time invitation. For many of us, we've walked with Jesus for decades. And the invitation is to know God more. To open up your hearts to know God in such a way that the wonder of God, that he captures your imagination, that no matter what, if he whispered in your ear, you'd say, absolutely, right now, take me. I want to be with you. I want that. And no matter where you are, you can have contentment in the journey. We're going to ask the band to come up, and Jamie's going to sing for us. And I ask her to do this song because I just want you to, to hear the lyrics of the song. I want you to sit with the song, and I want you to ask the Spirit of the Lord what he has for you in this question. Are you able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain? Are you able to really say to live is Christ and to die is gain? Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your word. I'm thankful for these words of Paul. I'm thankful that, that they um, have kind of hit me like a two by four and saying, I don't know if I can say it. I know I believe it. But Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know the power of your cross. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want your spirit uh, more. I want that for us. Uh, we want that as, as, as a church. Lord, for the people in this room who have not decided to walk with you, Lord, I pray today would be the day where they would just let go and they would accept the invitation that says, follow me. No excuses nothing to hold back to. Lord, help us to know you more so that we can love others better. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Thanks for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.